This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So, what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. My choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device, subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give it up for our super producer, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Max Williams. Maximus to the maximum. He's there. He's our guy. We were uh, we were singing to each other again uh, off air. I'm Ben, you're Noel. And uh, our off air conversations are generally kind of fun, I think. Most times on this show, what would you say? Well, what else could I say? I, I completely <laughs> agree. It's, uh, these, are the, these are the fun times, the fun podcast times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, this had me wondering, this is uh, totally unrelated, but before we get rolling today, we were talking about a Smooth Criminal right? By Michael Jackson. Well, we Mm -hmm. were just sort of all three humming along. We were just checking in and making sure we were all okay. 
Yes, yeah. And it reminded me of our good friend of the show, Annie Reese of uh, Saver and Stuff Mom Never Told You fame. I'm sure she's irritated by that song. And I was wondering, I was trying to guess, do you guys have songs about your name? And if so, how do you feel about them? Noel, I'd imagine the closest is the first Noel. You would imagine. You would imagine correctly. And every time someone sings that at me, they think they're the first one to have ever done it. Mm -hmm. Bully for them is what I say. Go on thinking that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm wondering if you guys can guess which one I've always gotten. Let's see. Um, Max. Uh, Something maximum. mm -hmm. Maxwell Silverhammer. Oh, yeah. Maxwell Bang Bang. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, The the, the murderiest of Beatles songs. (laughs) Right. The song's basically about a school shooter uh, that uses a hammer. And I am cursed, I I would say, with uh, the Michael Jackson song, Ben, which is about his friend who is a rat. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also Benny and the Jets, and I don't even want to give it airtime. Uh, but I you just do- gave it to you. It's already living rent free in all of our minds. <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere. The song it's doesn't go anywhere. Boots, a mohair suit. <laughs> you know, I read it in a magazine. Uh oh. <laughs> so, so wait, let's let maybe we stay on the rat because, um, that was for a movie. Did you know that starring Crispin Glover? I vaguely remember hearing that. I've never yeah. seen the film, though. The, the movie is about Crispin Glover, who I think it's actually a remake of, like, a movie from maybe a Vincent Price movie or something. It's about a dude who, like, controls rats with his That's mind. Right. Kind of like the way you control Corvids with your mind. Oh, so there's shucks. definitely a connection. Oh, shucks. Yeah, when uh, when uh, Noel and our ride or die, Mr. Matt Frederick, and I were on the road most recently, we had a weird moment. We were at a fancy grocery store, and I bought a pack of hard-boiled eggs. And Noel, uh, I think for a moment, you thought I was just going to eat them. I didn't know you were the Eggman. <laughs> I am not. I'm baffled that people buy hard-boiled eggs by themselves. Are you the walrus, then, if you're not the Eggman? Oh, gosh. Uh, we're going so many places. Uh, 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 we had a segue. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I've fed those to the crows. Though they were not, I wasn't just sitting eating goblin mode. And then you got uh, chastised by just a regular Joe, <laughs> yeah. a regular fella for eat, for feeding the crows. Because apparently they're like, I don't know, it emboldens them. <laughs> yeah, he called them sky rats. So if you're listening, sir, I didn't learn a thing and will not change my ways. This segue holds, though. We're talking about a a, a rat of yes. sorts today. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We are talking about one of the most famous rats, uh, formerly rats, in all of American culture. And this is part two of a two part episode. We're talking about the legendary Charles Entertainment Cheese. Now, no, we left on a bit of a cliffhanger in part one. That's right. Things were really heating up in June of 1979. Uh, a guy named Bob Brock, not Bob Rock, the Metallica producer, Bob Brock wanted to get an exclusive franchise deal with Pizza Time, the Pizza Time theater franchises. So he signed a $200 million co-development deal with uh, with our friend Mr. Bushnell uh, of Atari fame and uh, animatronic uh, singing robot fame. Uh, and this gave Mr. Brock exclusive franchising rights to Pizza Time theaters in 16 states across the southern and midwestern U.S and it gave him 
some pretty uh, pretty specific superpowers that maybe our Mr. Bushnell might not have fully realized at the time. Yeah, and it was uh, pretty bold, pretty aspirational. The contract uh, aimed for a target of 285 stores, 200 of which would be directly operated by Tim, which is Bob Brock's company, and another 85 would be sub-franchised out. And this was pretty big money because Tim, that's short for Topeka Inn Management, would be ponying up the capital to build these locations. And they were going to spend about a million dollars a pop. This was pretty cool for a while, for a bit, uh, because during 1980, Pizza Time Theater flourished. They added dozens and dozens of stores to their crew This included both uh, franchises and corporate-owned locations, and there were even some international locations. Things grew really quickly, and sometimes in the world of corporate business, when things grow quickly, they can grow quickly out of hand. It only took about a year for Brock's deal to show its ugly side. Uh, Brock's firm had received training on how to run all these pizza time locations. And there's definitely a science to it, right? And once they had the information, once they knew how to conduct day-to-day business, they went back on their contract, dude, and they opened up their own competing chain of restaurants, which they called Showbiz Pizza. Yeah, and it's funny because essentially they were like their own copycats and they joined the ranks of a bunch of other copycat kind of, you know, uh, futuristic uh, robotic pizza restaurants, including a place called Bullwinkle's Family Restaurant, which is cool. I imagine that would have an intellectual property tie-in with the Rocky and Bullwinkle show featuring the iconic uh, Moose and Squirrel, Um, a place called Celebration Station, which sounds like a delightful place to to have a slice. Um, Fair Play Pizza Theater, which sounds a little innocuous and kind of dull. It's like, that's not where the real fun happens. That's where everything is just equitable. That's like legal seafood. 100% Fair Play Pizza. That doesn't sound like anyone's taking many risks there. Major Magic's All-Star Pizza Review. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a good time. Mm-hmm. And then a place called Harazmataz. Love um, it. Yeah, and Bushnell said that they had uh, around 20 of these copycats that they were competing with. And now, going back on that uh, contract, Showbiz was essentially the most popular of these these knockoffs, right? And, and by the way, we're getting a good bit of this information from the actual history of Showbiz Pizza on showbizpizza.com slash history slash index.html. And a really great article from Fast Company with a fabulous name called Robots Pizza and Sensory Overload, the Chuck E. Cheese origin story by Benj Edwards. Yeah, correct. And the article by Benj Edwards is... I think one of the go-to reads here. It's a Definitely. long read, but it's worth it. So, yes, so right at the top, long read. So the uh, <laughs> and fit and do check it out, folks, because it is worth it. Anyway, as Edwards uh, as Edwards writes, Brock had a reason for this betrayal. He discovered a new kind of animatronics technology that he thought was better than what Bushnell's team had created. 
This is the work of a guy named Aaron Fetcher of Creative Engineering that you might recognize from uh, some documentaries mm-hmm. of Days Gone By, which I which I love. Fetcher had developed these huge, full-body, life-size animatronic characters. He called them the Rock of Fire Explosion, and they had smoother movements than the Chuck E. Cheese Cyberamics characters. They were <laughs> like, and they're a different crew, right? But if you look at what they're doing, it's 100% pulled from the Chuck E. Cheese playbook, which itself has some notes of plagiarism from the mouse. So this is like, uh, this is a bridge too far for pizza time. Right. And it's funny because, you know, I think we all were a little confused as to which one of these stores we actually remembered from our youth because, you know, I think me and you, Ben, were a little older than Max. Uh, no specifics need be named, but I do remember Showbiz Pizza. And I always assumed that Showbiz Pizza and Chuck E. Cheese were the same thing. I don't remember Pizza Time Theater, but I do remember maybe there were like remnants or something like that or like little, you know, some of these like fake posters for these bands or whatever, these, you know, robot musicians that maybe had still some branding from that. But it they were originally separate entities, right? And uh, because when this, you know, Showbiz Pizza came out with the with the higher quality animatronics, it did really, really well. And that did not sit well with uh, with Bushnell he actually sued Brock's firm and eventually won what's called like a profit garnishing judgment, which I imagine it's sort of like if you sue over like a song that copies you, then you end up entitled to all or a portion of the uh, the earnings from that song, like a blurred lines kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, this judgment came too late to be uh super useful to Bushnell and team because they were trying to turn pizza time from a kid's place to more a, what they called a diversified leisure or leisure company in their 1982 annual report. You can see this Bushnell writes, we believe that 1983 will be a time of growth and change in which the transition from a specialized restaurant concept to a diversified leisure company will be evident they're trying to go, they're doing a Dave and Buster's is what they're trying to do. Dave and yeah. Buster's uh, for everyone uh, was opened in Dallas in 1982. So he may have been aware of something like this, but he definitely had his finger on the pulse and it wasn't a bad instinct. It just maybe was again, too little, too late. The timing is everything. And I'm sorry, guys, I keep referencing the show Halt and Catch Fire because I am like in the thick of it. And now in the show where I am in season four, it's now the early 90s and the show's been, you know, following uh, the explosion of technology, including video games and companies like Atari since around this time. And what you see time and time again in the show, it gets like a fictionalized kind of like alt history version of a lot of these things that really, really happened. For example, like the, you know, the development of the World Wide Web and all of that. Timing is everything. You can have the best idea in the world, but if it's not ready, if if the consumers aren't ready for it or the content isn't there yet to fill it, then it's not going to, it's not going to fly. Right, right. And that could be a huge issue. In early 1983, 
Pizza Time's balance sheet was looking bad. One slight push in the wrong direction could fell the company entire. And this push came in the form of a U.S. tech stock crash. Investors, who are a pretty sensitive bunch, were immediately frightened. And when tech investors get frightened, as we can see in the in the current days of the United States, there are a lot of ramifications. Once the tech sector got scared in the stock crash of 83, they started cutting ties with Atari. Atari became a shadow of its former self. People didn't want to invest in tech, so lines of credit dried up for Bushnell's firms. Pizza Time stock fell from 26 dollars per share all the way down to four dollars per share and then wait it gets worse it plummeted further to two dollars and fifty cents a share and then wait it gets worse pizza time came out and confirmed it had been losing money for three-fourths of the previous year Jeez Louise. Yeah, I mean, we already talked about the the hefty price tag on each one of these locations, a million 1983 bucks, you know, per pizza restaurant with over 240 locations across the U.S., even sometimes, you know, in smaller cities that maybe did not necessarily have the audience yet uh, to support these they were making a big play uh, and maybe, I think, definitely overplaying their hand here because you had folks like Showbiz that had maybe already learned from the inside, you know, how to ease in a little bit more, you know, to, to dip the toe into the market, maybe not spend every single dollar, you know, in the same way that Pizza Time Theater had. Also, with all these copycats, you were getting a little bit uh, of saturation with this whole concept. Because again, like you can't really exactly copyright this concept. You can copyright actual characters and the way they look and all of that stuff. And, and as we know, it's not that hard to just tweak a few little details and you can even get away with ripping off uh, Mickey Mouse. But you can't really copyright the idea of a robot driven, you know, entertainment pizza arcade joint. So people were almost a little bit tired of the concept at this point. And it was a little bit of like, kind of brand confusion too I think may have because again we're talking about this stuff from we were a kid we had serious brand confusion many many years later which one is which we don't know and there's a reason for that because of what's about to happen that's sort of the answer to the questions that we have this episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. 
It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated, experienced drivers, and you receive those real-time notifications, as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents, plus you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online, and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Yeah. And we're going to get some more information here from Anna Green writing at Mental Floss, the Chuck E. Cheese Showbiz Pizza Robot Wars. Who doesn't love a robot war? Yeah. Rock'em sock'em. Yeah. Everybody listening after 2040, I guess. But uh, so they, they, they re- like the novelty is wearing off. You describe it perfectly. And Bushnell also is aware of the problem. It's not just that the industry is expanded with all these competitors, it's that Chuck E. Cheese itself has expanded way too far, way too fast. He had this interesting quote where he said, Chuck E. Cheese was so new that when we would first open a unit in St. Louis, you wouldn't have enough capacity. It was just, okay, bar the door. But that lasted for about a year and a half. Then people would settle down. They didn't need to go to Chuck E. Cheese every time grandma came to town. They didn't need to go to Chuck E. Cheese once a month. They found that we'll do the kids' birthdays and we'll go somewhere on special events. And the frequency of visits dropped from 10 a year to three a year. He had racked up additional debt, $22 million in debt, because Bushnell had been using Chuck E. Cheese money to fund other startups. Uh, yeah. Uh, can, can I say real quick, I've got a expression that I use a lot in my regular life, and it comes from a TikTok video of this kid, uh, and he's got a, a paper plate with uh, Charles Entertainment cheese on it, and it's got some, some like, uh, chocolate chips on it, and he says, 
chocolate chips on the Chuck E. Cheese plate. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. So whenever something's awesome, I say, man, that is chocolate chips on the Chuck E. Cheese plate right there. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Okay, I had, to, I, had to, I had to fit that in. I promised my kid I would fit that in okay. to the episode. Because, you know, this branding is still with us. And, and it did manage to kind of, you know, in, insert itself into, into the zeitgeist. And then we're going to get to the now of Chuck E. Cheese. But at this point, they are not doing well. That is not a good play, my friend. That is not chocolate chips on the Chuck E. Cheese plate to use that money to fund other startups. Because we know startups, this is the era, the beginning of startup culture. You know, this like kind of Silicon Valley, like fake it till you make it attitude. And we know that most startups fail miserably mm. and that money evaporates. Mm. And if you're just pulling it from the kitty, from your already struggling business, that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, many startups these days are created entirely in hopes of selling them to a bigger company later. Mm -hmm. It's a different mentality than what you would want for <laughs> for restaurants. So Bushnell and team have to file for bankruptcy in 1984 as a result of all these deleterious factors. Bushnell gets pushed out, Showbiz buys up the failing franchise. There you go. And, and it operates both Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz locations independently because probably because at this point, Chuck E. Cheese was so well-known that they didn't want to kill him off. They renamed the company Showbiz Pizza Time, which does sound like the Support name of... It, it, it does sound like the name of several weird off-brand restaurants I've been to in other countries. Someone's like, make something sound America. Call it Pizza Time. No, give it, hit it with that Razzmatazz. Call oh, it yeah. Showbiz Pizza Time. We don't even, this is not even started on Razzmatazz. I was talking to, you You met my friend Steven uh, when we were out in LA and I was talking to him about this subject and he was like, I swear I went to Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz Pizza at different times when Quite I was possibly. a kid gr growing up in the 80s. And the answer is Quite possibly, definitely. It is that kind of a Mandela effect, though. You know what I mean? Where it's like, which one was it? Was it Shazam or was it Kazam? Was it Chuck E. Cheese or was it Showbiz? It was probably both. And then there came a point where you'd probably have ones that were under one branding that worked in that area and that already were doing good business. They just left well enough alone. And then they, you know, they probably monitored it and saw which ones were doing better. And they left them as they were because, but they also, they shared characters at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Because I remember the song. There was a commercial. It was Showbiz Pizza, where a kid can be a kid. And then later it became Chuck E. Cheese's, where a kid can be a kid. And that's why I was super confused mm -hmm. because they did coexist simultaneously. And then I think they were kind of squashed together. And now there are no more showbizes. There's only. The, 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 the mouse, the ah, cheese, the big yeah. cheese. Yeah, we'll get to this. So right now, uh, Bob, Brock, and Fetcher are vi name. victorious, <laughs> but only for a time. Remember, Fetcher is the creative guy. Uh, Brock is more the corporate money-centric type. So Fetcher loses out. Showbiz is still hemorrhaging money, and management says, okay, part of the reason this is not 
more profitable is because those rock of fire explosion acts are just increasingly elaborate. They're increasingly expensive. So they start sidelining Fetcher and they use voice impersonators to play his characters. Fetcher is getting increasingly disillusioned with the corporate world and he starts tinkering with other projects. He builds new animatronics, high tech rock of fire toys that honestly a lot of people couldn't afford. He starts working on the anti gravity machine. He okay. called it. It's a predecessor. <laughs> it's not what it sounds like. It's a predecessor <laughs> to email. It could send messages oh, over right, telephone right, right. lines. And then in 1990, his company, Fetcher's company, Creative Engineering, was kicked out of showbiz completely. Fetcher lost the war. He was able to take Rock of Fire Explosion with him because he refused to sell the character rights to showbiz. And he was convinced. He was like, I believe in my Rock of Fire gang. I know that they can do something outside of this pizza joint. So he said, I'm going to keep working on the robots. And uh, because showbiz no longer had the rights to those characters, this is where the confusion occurs. Yes. They converted the remaining Rock of Fire robots into Chuck E. Cheese characters, replacing their exteriors in yes. kind of a Westworld-style thing. They left the original machinery intact. This was called concept unification. And there's another example of this. It's a little conspiratorial. But if you go to the Hall of Presidents, right? Sure. Everybody knows Disney Hall of Presidents. Mm -hmm. You'll notice that one in particular looks very weird. It's the uh, <laughs> it's the statue or animatronic character of former President Donald Trump. It looks a lot like somebody started building it with the intention that it would be President Hillary Clinton. <gasps> And then had to change it oh, man. when the election came through. Pull up a picture. I'm telling oh, you, well, you can see no, it. No, no, that's super cool. I actually was, when I was at Disney recently, I intended to go to the Hall of Presidents. But it's one of those things that happens on a schedule. You yeah. can't just wander in. And I just, I missed the, I missed the timing for it uh, because the fireworks happened. And I wasn't going to miss that, obviously. But this is super interesting, Ben. This like reskinning of these like, you know, mm -hmm. Terminator exoskeleton kind of guys. Uh, and, and as we, I think we mentioned, briefly, there is a, re and you alluded to a minute ago, there's a really cool documentary called, I think it's just called The Rock of Fire Explosion Band, or maybe it's just Rock of Fire. It's, it's easy to find. And you can watch the whole thing on YouTube, actually. But mm -hmm. Fetcher is a main character in it, and it basically is about all of these Rock of Fire super fans that kind of band together. These aren't rich people. They band together and buy the Rock of Fire Explosion animatronics from Fetcher, or or I think that's right. They buy it from him and they so they build it and in like a in a trailer. Mm -hmm. Actually, didn't didn't make it all the way to the end, so I'm not quite sure what the. But this is good because that way I'm not spoiling it for anyone. There's definitely some intrigue, and it shows you, Ben. You we've talked about this off air. The kind of nightmarish hellscape that is. 15 of these things, skinless and oh, yeah. pantomiming their whatever lip sync things at the same time, like a row of lucky cats at like a Chinese mm. uh, novelty store. <laughs> you mm. know, it's really, really um, pretty scary stuff. And clearly the impetus for games like Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, which is like the jump scares with these like creepy, you know, rock of fire animatronic robot things. Absolutely. Yeah. And the documentary is well worth a watch. Uh, spoiler, the Rock of Fire explosion show, those characters uh, are, they end up being sold to other restaurants and entertainment centers, which further amplifies the possible Mandela effect, because you could have seen them at some place completely different, like Pistol so Pete's weird. Pizza, Billy yeah. Bob's Wonderland, and so on. 
All right. So showbiz has unified its concept, right? And they're still facing outside competition. One of their biggest competitors becomes something called Discovery Zone. This is an entertainment center targeted toward kids, but it's a different vibe. They've got an indoor jungle gym. They've got a lot of hands-on activities, interior playgrounds. Education-driven? I don't know why. When I hear Discovery, I think maybe it's like there's, you know, optical illusions or something like that. Or there's some, maybe I'm totally wrong. It's because I worked at a place called Fort Discovery that was actually run by the U.S. military. uh, And it was like a science-y type museum. So Discovery Zone, probably not that. But then hands-on activities, I do have to assume there may have been some sort of educational component when I hear hands-on activities. Mostly MMA. Cool. Hand-to-hands. Right. Combat right. Uh, activities. Yeah. With, with pizza. To uh, the death. In a steel cage. Right. So the sales at Showbiz start to slow down, and there are more disappointing sales in the early 90s. So Showbiz Pizza Time drops the word pizza from the restaurant name, and this is where they start just calling it Chuck E. Cheese. They get a new kid-friendly logo of Charles Entertainment Cheese, mm-hmm. and uh, he has a, like a thumbs up, like, "Hey, we passed our health inspection." And in 1995, they begin a series of massive remodelings. They call this Phase One, and they added Kid Check Kiosk, which like lets parents have a little more security with their children. They also added free attractions uh, so that it didn't feel like it was a continual money sink when you took your family to visit. Chuck E. himself officially goes from kind of rat-like to definitely a mouse. They said enough time has passed. And then they tried something. They tried something weird. They got really experimental. They made something called the Awesome Adventure Machine in 1997. Okay, okay. Tell me more. <laughs> By the way, uh, Discovery Zone, not educational at all. And to this day, there are, now there are only two locations uh, at malls, one in Kentucky and one in Ohio. So they clearly didn't win the war either. And just jump in here, that is actually a remake. I was researching the same thing as you, know. Turns out those two are just paying homage to the original Discovery Zone. So the original is not even around at all. Right. They went okay. out, they they liquidated in 2001. Got it. Do the sound cue. Who's that sneaking in the phone? It's Max! And he's full of knowledge just for you right now. Here he comes. It's Max with the facts! <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right. Awesome. Uh, we love it when we can fit that one in organically. So, yeah, this... Awesome adventure machine. It's a little mad science. Uh, Pictures someone say, it's too complex. It's unstable at this stage. And then the corporate type going, I don't care. Put it in the restaurants. Sell Uh, it to the children. (laughs) Sell it to the children. Uh, So this thing, though it didn't work out in 1997, uh, it was a new kind of test stage. And it gave rise to the Chuck E. Cheese stage show concept called Studio C. Studio C only has one animated figure. That's Child's Entertainment Cheese. Yep, I've seen this version too as an adult with going to kids' birthday parties. And it was definitely not what I remembered and contributed to my confusion. 
and this is this is important because it's a huge cost saving measure. The other characters are present, but they're on TV monitors, so you only really need one one uh, cyborg. They're not cyborgs. Honestly, it reminds me of the way a lot of roller coasters now or at certain amusement parks are doing more the like motion video stuff yeah. rather than actually having to build tracks. You know what I mean? And then obviously the really high quality ones like Disney and Universal, they'll use both sometimes, you know, but it's a real cost saver if you don't have to actually move around or have the real estate required to have a big old track. Same with all of these seriously expensive moving part, you know, animatronic figures that break down and have to be maintained and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, mm. smart on them, you know? It's sad that the kids of this era uh, won't remember the, the the terrifying joy that was the Rock of Fire explosion band, though. Yeah, and to the point about roller coasters, it's also way less expensive insurance-wise. Oh, 100%. You know? Uh, Can't get decapitated by a video. Uh, yeah, and many years ago at the local amusement park of note here, Six Flags Over Georgia, someone did die. In I wasn't joking. Z Force. Yeah. It was. They called. got decapitated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, true story. So there are business reasons behind a lot of these entertainment choices. Now, in the story, all of the units have been completely turned over, remodeled, and themed to Chuck E. Cheese locations. So Showbiz Pizza Time Incorporated changes its company name to Chuck E. Cheese Entertainment Incorporated in 1998. Which, yes, I know that's a little bit like saying VIN number or ATM machine, Charles Entertainment Cheese Entertainment Incorporated. <laughs> but they're they're making it work, and then they move on to phase two remodeling. Ah, phase two. Um, that's when they really start leaning into uh, what you aptly described as a casino for children kind yes. of uh, environment. Um, and, and again, you know, as an adult who has, you know, been to a few casinos, not my thing. It's not something I would have clocked at all when I was a kid because you just get thrown into these places and you're like, wow, this is amazing. But they all lean much more heavily on gaming rather than like actual console video game cabinets, you know, where you're like playing, you know, a pre-existing property. These are more like roulette type games right. to, to earn tickets that you can then exchange for, you know, thing like stuff that are, the, and as we know, even like Dave and Buster's similar model, but they at least have like cool video games. And I'm sure some Chuck E. Cheese's have video games, but I seem to recall when I went very light on the actual branded video games that we know and love, like the, you know, whatever, Tetrises of the mm -hmm. world and things like that, much more these either either dinky little rides, you know, like the little airplane that just goes like back and forth like at the grocery store, or these kind of games of chance. And we know that that stuff really can get under your skin and kind of feed this like addiction of I've got to win the thing. I got to get the stuff, you know, I've got an itch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Indoctrinate them young. Right. Uh, this, this is weird, but it is successful in July of 1999 discovery zone files for chapter 11 bankruptcy and Charles Entertainment Cheese Entertainment Incorporated buys out their remaining assets and intellectual property. This gets rid of their only major competitor, and they become the dominant family entertainment center in the United States. Back to Showbiz Pizza's official history, 
They say the early 2000s were a boon for the company. Sales increased. They were constantly opening new locations. They go to phase three remodels where they say, we're going to have new enhanced games. We're going to have a toddler zone. We're going to improve is, the sky lifted, tube. Which all that stuff was lifted from Discovery Zone. Uh-huh. You know, that, yeah, that was basically, yeah, 100%. So they're like, Discovery Zone's main thing was these ball pits and, and you know, tumbly kid environments, you know, that you could run around in. We all probably had a place in our youth that was maybe more local or regional. For me, it was a place called Putt-Putt Golf and Games, and they kind of followed the same model. You could see it happening because, you know, you have to keep up with the Joneses, right? And uh, they had these giant play places that would be up in the up in the sky, kind of connected to the ceiling. We have one here in Atlanta that I think is relatively regional called Andretti's. That's like a go-kart kind of joint. And they have one of these like sky tube kind of situations too. So this copycatting, because this stuff isn't exactly intellectual property, it always runs rampant when somebody kind of cracks the code. A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, another great example would be the baseball cap, right? No one can really... Nope own that you just own what goes on it that's right uh you know what we should check into the history of the baseball cap i may be incorrect but that'll be a that's a really good idea let's just make a note of that yeah that's a really good idea history of the baseball cap we're cooking live folks okay so chuck e cheese they are so successful that they say we're no longer going to sell franchises they opened the 300th company-owned location in march of 2000 and then they start buying back the franchises from the individual operators or owners. So and a messy. lot of, yeah, a lot of them, they wanted to expand. They're like, my two Chuck E. Cheeses are doing really well. I want to build a third one. And then corporate would say, we don't do that anymore, but we will buy yours back from you. And so they buy up all of these different units and they even try for a minute. They had something that I never visited, a small town Chuck E. Cheese that had an all you can eat buffet, a costume Chuck E. on the floor, and they charged admission at the door. But eventually these were all given that Studio C animatronic treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh because people still went for the animated characters. They did. That was the kind of selling point because at this point you have a, like I said, you know, whether it be regional or like a massive national chain, most people have a, a, a thing like this in their neighborhood, you know, in, in their city. There was a place, you know, another place where I grew up that was called Funsville. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all this kind of stuff. They have like bumper boats and basically like an always on kind of carnival kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have that extra selling point, which was the show aspect of it, was about the only thing that they could provide that was any different than any of these other spots. A hundred percent. You know, that's that's the main draw. You don't go to McDonald's and not expect French fries, right? Uh, So this, because what makes it different from any other place then? So anyway, the Cool Chuck era could not last. Uh, And Cool Chuck era is uh, the way our pal Dr. Zach decided to phrase this. And I agree with him. Mm -hmm. The, The company is heading like the rest of the United States into the Great Recession. And it was able to keep itself in the black during this time, but a lot of the tricks it used to stay afloat were starting to run thin. This is a novelty concept, which means that when it is no longer novelty to people, they're just going to stay home or they're going to go play in the park. Uh, these 
franchises that they have been absorbing were increasingly scarce. The company had saturated the market. They couldn't expand much further. And they said, okay, we got to stop opening units as quickly and as widely as we have. We need to offer other, we need to offer other paths, right, to ourselves. So they begin re-offering franchise options in the United States to save the company money. And they're going to use that money to invest in their existing stores. And this is something that a lot of companies should do more often. Instead of opening the new stuff, you got to invest in what you already know works. And um, you you like how I say that with companies as, it, as though all industries are the same? It's a little broad brush so, there, <laughs> but, but, uh, but anyway, the, um, the company started to remove their free entertainment options too. In a lot of locations, no more sky tubes, no more toddler zone, just more games that you have to pay to play or in stores that had the room, the stuff you mentioned earlier, no bumper cars, other, other premium attractions. Like how, when you go to six flags, you still have to pay for laser tag, even though you already paid the price of admission to get into the park. Max, you get it. That's unfair. So lame. So lame. So in the summer of 2012, Chuck E. Cheese Entertainment Incorporated was trying to catch up with the times. They, they knew all of the things that we're talking about. You know, the, 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 this is a company that's run by, you know, relatively smart people. And they know that you can't you can't rest on your laurels or whatever. Um, rest on your cheese pizzas. That's horrible. But I'm saying it because I said it and I said what I said. A lot of this was about kind of modernizing the character and uh, what was popular in the 2000s. Pixar, you know, CGI. Let's 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 make it where people can like really, that's what Disney was really all about too. A lot of these like 3D rides, you know, I'm focusing more on like video and than, than on actual movement. So they wanted to catch up and they're turning at this point Chuck E. Cheese, Charles Entertainment into a rock star. They're rebranding the voice, making him a cool skater guy, kind of, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. He is, uh, he's getting too cool for school. Most of the press did not like this. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. 
And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. They said this is disastrous. They said this isn't popular. It's not going to be popular. The general public was like, what have you done to Charles? I love the idea of the press having an opinion on this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, We got to weigh in on this Chuck E. Cheese rebranding, guys. still happens. That still happens now. You can find all kinds of... Actually, I bet we could find some think pieces about Chuck E. Cheese in the modern day, maybe. Anytime nostalgia is at play, you are going to have stakeholders. People that are going to weigh... How dare you? Mm -hmm. You know? Like, Mm -hmm. The super fans of Rock of Fire Explosion featured in that documentary or, surely has something to say about all of this. Or literally any Marvel film or sci-fi franchise. Uh, Correct. Shout out to Star Trek, Max. So, look, the, the company knows that this is not translated into profits or sales. And so they say, okay, we're going to release our annual report. It's plain text. It's the kind of thing you haven't seen since the early 1980s when Pizza Time Theater entered bankruptcy. And in 2014, Apollo Global Management acquires Charles Entertainment Cheese Entertainment Incorporated and they buy the 577 stores across the world for about $950 million, making Chuck E. Cheese a privately held, wholly owned subsidiary. Kids don't care about this. Just cutting to the chase, kids don't care about any of this behind the scenes stuff. What they care about is whether something is interesting and entertaining to them. It looks like, at least for folks like Kitty J over at MASH.com, that children are increasingly less engaged with robotic musical characters. So 2017, Chuck E. Cheese announces they're going to revamp their locations. They're going to remove some animatronic acts and stages. 
They want to make a large dance floor where children can conga with a live Chuck E. Cheese that comes from a back room. And when he comes out, he makes it rain. He's throwing tickets out (sighs) everywhere. And then he's like, dance with me, children. Dance with me. <laughs> dance to the B-I-D-I, the rat who is now Pied Pipering the children. Yes. For some just reason, so. I'm, that just conjured up an image of like a Hunger Games like style, like movie, like post-dystopian, <laughs> like world where we all dance for Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. No, he's a god. He's worshipped as a god at the, in this in this version of reality that you're describing, Max. Really quickly, just 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 uh, one thing that always stood out to me. I don't think I ever did it. I think you only got to do it if you were the birthday uh, uh, f- uh, person. Do you remember the cage you'd go into where like money and tickets and stuff would blow around, and you just had to grab your grab it with your little fists, get as much as you could. Oh, yeah, it's a weird one. Max was nodding emphatically. Ben, I'm not sure if you 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 remember that or not. Oh yeah, that's yeah. It was like a wind tunnel kind of thing mm-hmm. where it would like blow all around. I remember and it was, those, yeah, yeah. Really hard to actually uh, actually grab. I yeah. also have never been in one of those two, but I know people who have been in them and have always, I don't know, might be resentful towards them. Still. I've been in one with actual cash. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a thing too. Yeah, and, and I that think is in the earlier days, that is more difficult to catch. So if you if you list, if you were playing one of those as a kid and you weren't able to get as much as you hoped, don't feel bad. A lot of adults have a hard time too. Oh, and I think to your point, Ben, it originally was mainly cash, and then I think that probably got a bad rap because a cash is filthy, uh, and it's probably just rubbing all around on your little child body. And also, it just kind of feels a little icky, not just because of the germy bits, but just because of the, like, I don't know, capitalism kind of vibes. It's just like, like, come on, children, just grab for the cash. It's sort of like that scene in Batman, you know, where he's throwing the fake Joker dollars and everyone's, like, rioting in the streets. That's sort of the vibe that it uh, imparts. And this is where uh, this is where we get closer and closer to the modern day. Now, the live mascot thing does make sense because kids like that's a Disney formula. Again, kids love engaging with the live mascots, right? And now we have to ask how far this can go. Unfortunately. Do uh, according to a press release uh, just a few years back in June of 2020. Charles Entertainment Cheese Incor- Entertainment Incorporated, excuse me, Charles Entertainment Cheese Entertainment Incorporated filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And this was predicted, um, this seemed almost inevitable as the pandemic reared its head. They had a pretty in depth financial reorganization. And this came about entirely due to the massive hit they took during the early days of COVID-19 when pretty much every restaurant and arcade was shut down. The same store sales fell by like more than 20% in the first quarter. Uh, Without getting into the financial weeds, what you need to know is that Chuck E. Cheese needed a $200 million loan just to get through bankruptcy and this would allow the chain to reopen their closed stores and continue operations like carry out and delivery and stuff as well and it all looked lost it all looked for naught however get this little bit of good news for a second six months later 
CEC Entertainment announces they pulled themselves out of bankruptcy. They were financially healthy. Their restructure did away with $705 million in debt. And that's like, that's where you learn America, baby. Am I right? Like if you were a corporation, you know, bankruptcy is just sort of like a situation you get into. And then you're going to be fine if you restructure. It's very, very strange stuff. But I, uh, before we get to like tangents, trivias, and our last updates, we got to say something about Bushnell. He's a pioneer, man. He still has a thing about restaurants. He has become a restaurateur. He has founded or taken over several restaurants over the past 40 years. And he even tried something similar to showbiz with uh, something called You Wink. Letter U, wink. Okay. It's a restaurant where tables get touchscreens in 2006. Ew. Sort of like what Chili's did. Sort of like so many places do now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, well, look, the touch, look, I guess this is 2006. So this is, I don't know, pre iPad. Pre so, uh, yeah. robot sushi restaurant. Right. Yeah. So, so you know, this would have been, again, timing, right? Because then you have this whole business model kind of upended by, you know, um, easily available technology that any restaurant can just install an app on and have a thing plugged up to a charger on the table where you can, like, spend 99 cents on playing a, a word game while you wait so you don't have to talk to your family. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. He's still, if this is the thing, if you are pioneering a concept, right, in any shape, form, or fashion, then you are taking on a risk that other people simply do not have to take on. This is why leapfrog, this is why the concept of leapfrogging technology exists. And a lot of those competitors in this character entertainment restaurant space, a lot of them were benefiting from the risk that Bushnell took. In his career, which spans, as Fast Company put it, uh, spans well into a half century, Bushnell never stopped chasing this idea of entertainment and socializing and food and drink. Uh, he, you know, Pong was the first game that had required two players and mm -hmm. Pong ended up in a lot of restaurants the end of that article, honestly, it kind of falls into like this shout out or this tribute to Bushnell's work. And uh, I'd like to just hit this one thing that really stood out from the Fast Company article. They say, maybe that's the secret behind Chuck E. Cheese's enduring relevance. It's not about technology or singing animals. The place is a cultural Trojan horse that brought families together, helped arcade games become acceptable, and made eating into family entertainment. I think that's very nice. It's a very nice thing to say. I don't know if it's the first to the post in eating as family entertainment, We'd have to figure out when, um, oh, what's that called? Medieval times? That, that was probably, probably that later. That seems 80s. Doesn't that seem 80s it to you? It feels maybe 90s. It feels 15th century to me. Oh, fuck. Oh, Max they got you. Those, they got they Max. Got, they got to you. No, this is true. I, I mean, look, it's sort of the family restaurant, 
You know, I mean, the idea of even something as simple as like a, a free coloring book for kids. You know what I mean? Like just this <gasps> idea of a place where you could all come as a family. Uh-huh. There's something on the menu for everybody. Even the idea of a kid's menu, you know, like that was kind of innovative at the time. And so I think all of this kind of springs from that. And and, and honestly, you know, Bushnell was... Um, you know, we talked about how he was sort of like fascinated by these family restaurants and wanted to kind of take them into the into the next generation or whatever, into the future. So, I mean, these 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 concepts were just sort of escalations of things that definitely already existed. But medieval know, times, like, 1960s. No joke. No wow. joke. So there we go. OK. All right. Just had to put that out there. Get in front History of-, of the family restaurant. I just want to know, like, when, like, history of family restaurants. It looks to be the rise of family restaurants started after World War II and has grown into an important part. That makes sense. It was this idea of kind of, like, this was something that was attainable for everybody. You know, like, um, in the 1700s, there's this article on uh, Gunther2Ds.com, which I think is a, a family diner of some sort. But they point out, Gunther2Ds, in the 1700s, it wasn't uncommon for wealthy families to send a servant to pick up dinner, you know, which was then eaten at home. The idea of dining out in general as a family was was not really attainable. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, the early 1900s that children were even allowed into restaurants. You know, I'm not going to say let's all be time travelers, but I I think there are certain restaurants that probably shouldn't have, they should have age restrictions. I think you know what I mean? Fair. Not just bars, but like, like no. you know, you're out on a really nice candlelit romantic dinner with your, you know, one and only of the month. And uh, then you probably don't want uh, a, a screaming child or maybe that's your ambiance. I don't know. Who am I only if it's on theme. You know, if that's like the the theme that you have chosen for your hey, night baby, out, the screaming child restaurant, really yeah. well. Congratulations on your promotion. Let's go have a romantic celebration at Screaming Child Bistro. Screaming Child. I did have a couple of things that I discovered when I was looking into um, how how COVID affected the the the, the Chuck E. Cheese um, you know empire. We talked a little bit about that. You know, they did file for bankruptcy uh, after you know amassing more than a billion dollars in debt. Uh, they were able to raise some funds. Uh, and now I believe they're in the process of restructuring. But there are a couple of interesting stories that really kind of hit home. For example, apparently they've been doing that ghost kitchen thing that a lot of restaurants do where like, you know, it sort of came up during COVID where uh, you were using a, a kitchen in a brick and mortar um, restaurant in order to serve food for another restaurant brand. So you would essentially like lease out part of your kitchen, but that's not exactly what, what Charles did. They actually created a kind of phony Italian restaurant called Pasquale's Pizza and Wings and just served their Chuck E. Cheese fare, uh, you know, to unsuspecting online diners. Because, I mean, let's be let's be honest, y'all. I mean, Chuck E. Cheese pizza ain't, ain't, ain't all that. <laughs> it's not that good. Well, I bet you that somewhere there is a person putting their heart and soul into what they're cooking. And you can tell, but as a rule, generally, yeah, Chuck E. Cheese is not going to be the same pizza as your local mom and pop store. Yeah, I know. Most of us have had bad experiences. I'm just defending the one person out there whom I hope, uh, who, who, who I hope is... is um, breaking the stereotype or exceeding expectations. 
and and as of you know uh, the the restructuring, this may not be the most up to date information right now, but more than thirty four locations that were open when coronavirus um, hit uh, have closed, and that's in you know states across the country. And to piggyback on that, uh, research associate extraordinaire Zach, Dr. Z. Williams, found a pretty interesting and slightly disturbing detail about what happens when a Chuck E. Cheese location is, is closed. The Chuck E. Cheese costumes and I believe the animatronics, or at the very least the, like, heads that go on them, are decommissioned in a pretty alarming and brutal way that really fits in with Max's dystopian kind of like God-like scenario where Chuck E. Cheese is worshipped. Only in this situation, he's actually sacrificed. <laughs> There's video that surfaced of employees uh, at a, a, a location that was being closed smashing the cartoon character head um, with a, uh, a sledgehammer. Like ripping the uh, covers off magazines. Yeah. Throw them away. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and apparently this is a corporate policy. Because it makes sense, right? Because you wouldn't want that head to fall into the wrong hands and then have the brand like be smirched. Who knows? People could wear them and like do crimes, mm-hmm. you know? So you just don't, they, they had to just get rid of it. They had to, they had to smash it up. Yeah, and there's that great Atlas Obscura article, right, by Paula Meggia, mm-hmm. uh, which talks about this in detail, why Chuck E. Cheese has a corporate policy about destroying its mascot's head. You might say, I don't want to I don't want to go to the new Chuck E. Cheese. I, I, I want the animatronics. I know the company might be weirdly defensive. They, they still have, uh, where they do have robots, they're still powered by a floppy disk. That's a true story. Check out The Bite uh, for more on that. Uh, shout out to Noor Al-Sibai. But if you yearn for that nostalgia, folks, and nostalgia is a heck of a drug, then never fear. You can go see a collection of memorabilia from the old days of Showbiz Pizza in Sandy Hook, Mississippi, thanks to Damon Brenlin, the owner of Smitty's Super Service. Now, Noel, I... I haven't been to this place. I've actually barely been to many locations in Mississippi, just regular places. I'm not even Chuck E. Cheese. I don't think I've ever been to Mississippi, ever. Well, maybe the first time we go, we go to this uh, Smitty Super Service. This sounds fantastic. He's got uh, fully functioning animatronics. It's set up to look just like the restaurant. And that's funny because I wonder how he got around this. Because, I mean, with the Rocket Fire Explosion stuff, they bought it directly from the dude who created them who would not sell the IP. But this goes against the whole idea of of them destroying the stuff. Because a big part of the, the Atlas Obscure article or the point that the writer makes is that they're they're basically exerting control over their trademark because they wouldn't want these things to be like available on eBay and for someone to literally do what this person, uh, Damon Breland, is doing at Smitty's Super Service. So I'm confused as to how he's operating under the radar like this without the the the, for, the power of, of of Charles Entertainment Cheese corporate coming down on him like a sledgehammer of the gods. Mm, yeah. It's an interesting question, uh, and if it's not long for the world, then we'll have to get back on the road and check it out. 
We hope that you enjoyed uh, this week's two-part episode, folks. Obviously, the nostalgia is strong with us. We hope it's strong with you. Uh, This story goes in so many directions. Uh, We want to thank, as always, super producer Mr. Max Williams for uh, herding the production cats here. Uh, Who else should we thank? Oh, Giles Entertainment Cheese. Ugh, I don't know, man. He gives me the creeps. I, I kind of liked his uh, his youthful rock star rebranding, to be honest. Um, yeah. uh, thanks to Max Williams. Of course, Zach, Dr. Z, what a guy. And big, big thanks to Eves Jeffcoat, Christopher Hasiotis, Casey Pegram. Ah, <sighs> uh, Casey. And, uh, and reluctantly, uh, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. Mm-hmm. You can actually see a video of, uh, of of us in our other podcast uh, iteration, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, hanging out with Jonathan Strickland uh, in real life at a miniature golf course, a historical miniature golf course in Austin, Texas called Peter Pan Golf, uh, talking conspiracies and just joshing around on the links, the mini, the miniature links. On the links, yeah. I don't think it's out yet, but it will be soon. You can take a look for that at our other shows, uh, social media, uh, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, Conspiracy Stuff show on Instagram. Keep a lookout for that video. It's a fun one. Yeah, especially if you like nostalgia. Uh, I don't know, man. This has actually, weirdly enough, it's made me kind of hungry. Oh, yeah. Is it about lunchtime? Uh, it's close. I think we can swing close it. Enough. Yeah, let's, let's, let's order some middling pizza. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.